And I love new series day, or maybe better, uh, new bumper reveal day. And props to the creative team. Hey, my, good morning. My name is Mark, and um, if you if you know me very well, or if you've you've been here for a while, there's um, you know just kind of a few stories uh, from from my my life that uh, that have impacted me greatly. A few people's lives that I crossed paths with that uh, that really influenced me. And uh, one that I've shared about before was a guy named Antoine Edwards. And he's a, he's a guy that 18 years ago, he, he passed away in a, uh, in a boating accident. And, um, and it just, it's, it's had a big influence on me. I mean, I think the, the older I get, the more I, I realize how much it has. It just, it just surfaces a lot of times. It just happened around Easter time. And especially around that time, it feels like it, it always um, kind of has a, a greater impact. But, you know, it's, it's both the event and the things that surrounded that, but then also just this guy's life. You know, he died when he was 20. I only knew him a few years, but uh, that's all it took for God to just use him in some incredible ways in my life to, to understand God better, to understand our place and in, in role on the planet better. Just, uh, this, just this full picture. And maybe the biggest piece was the passion that this guy had for worship. And I, uh, to date, I've never known anybody before or since. I, I've never known anybody like this. Antoine, he, he loved to worship, and uh, it wasn't a song, and it wasn't some act of service. It was like this, this thing that was in him that was always just kind of at a, at a tipping point, boiling point, you know, and it just, it just spewed out. <laughs> and, and when you were around him, like, you were automatically drawn in to worship his Jesus because his passion was so intense. And I remember being in a lot of different places, and we would be in the middle of prayer, we'd be in the middle of study, studying God's word, and something would come up, and it would just kind of trigger something in him, and he would remember a song, and, and it would start to roll out. And the dude couldn't sing that well, and neither could we. But all of a sudden, we would, we would start to sing and, and connect with God in these songs that are really prayers, but they were from his heart, and, and you could just see it. In fact, this guy, he, uh, when he moved to the town that I met in, the town that he went to school in, he, um, he found a lady in town who could sew and asked her to sew him some little flags, that some handheld flags. And then he would go out and find some place that he could be alone, usually out at the lake, and he would roll down the windows and crank up the stereo and turn on his, his favorite worship songs. And he would sing at the top of his lungs and dance with these flags to the Lord. Just, just, just him and Jesus. And, and he really, that was something that he just did. And I, I tried it. I'm not very good at it. But he, uh, he, he did that. And it was like a, for the audience of one, just, just him and, and Jesus. And some people found out about it. And they asked him to do it in like a church service. And he, he did it kind of reluctantly. And then afterwards, he told me, man, I'm not doing that anymore. It was, like, it was almost like it somehow cheapened it for him to be around other people because this was this intimate thing that he had between him and his God. And, uh, and it just impacted me, you know. And after he died, when we were a bunch of guys getting together, kind of making our way to his hometown for his funeral, one of the guys shows up and he says, Hey, y'all aren't going to believe this, but this new worship song came out, and it's, it's like it was written for Antoine. And we said, what are you talking about? And he took a CD, and he queued it up, and, uh, and he played this song for us. And you probably know the words of it. I think there's been a movie that's made about it recently. 
I, I honestly have had trouble listening to it in the years since because it, it brings up a lot of emotions, so I'll just read it for you. But, uh, but imagine, this is right after his, we're on the way to the funeral, and, and this song plays. I can only imagine what it would be like when I walk into prayer, when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. And as soon as we listen to it, we all look at each other and said, man, Antoine's dancing. I don't know what we'd be doing, but I'm 100% sure that Antoine's dancing. But you know, it's a good question. What, what would you do in his presence? And just kind of a side thought, you know he's in the room this morning, right? And to the degree that we embrace it and recognize it and collectively join in together, the more we experience it. That he's, he's in this place. And this series that we begin today is going to focus really on this, this whole idea of what it means to, to worship. And, you know, worship in, is, is service and worship. He, God is with you in any place that you are when you're alone. He's, he's there and worship is possible. It's more than just music. But for the, for the focus of this series for the next four weeks, I really want to kind of hone in on what it means on this dedicated time that we have on Sunday mornings where we say that we want to come in this place that's set apart for the purpose of worship and, and experience and worship and experience his presence and, and worship our God. And, you know, the truth is, in most places, and I don't know that we're a lot different, it's, it's, it's a broken piece. You know, worship is just... Uh, a few songs before or after the message. It's just music. But we all know deep inside of us that it's, it's so much more than that. And recently I was in a conversation with somebody that said the ma- maturity of most believers is, is hindered. And the thing that hinders it's, it most are kind of two areas, two perspectives. One, their identity. And two, their understanding of his authority, of God's authority who they are, and who God is. If, if we're broken somehow in one of those two pieces, then it, it begins to hinder our ability to worship and follow him. And that's the reason we've named this series, Who Am I? The first two weeks, we're going to focus on our identity, who we are, and then kind of that second two weeks, kind of flip the, the question he's asking us, who, who am I? And we're going to focus on his authority, on who God is. And... One reason that we're going to do it this way, and just forgive me, I, I've discovered about myself that I'm an I'm a if-then kind of person. And as I describe this, some of you guys are going to go, yeah, that's me. Some of you may be totally different than this, and that's cool and all. I guess you're okay still. But uh, I am an if-then kind of person. Like, if one plus one, plus one equals two, and if, if in my life or in your life or you try to tell me that one plus one equals three, then, then we're going to have issues. And, and, you know, you find out what you really love and believe by the things that get, get you most passionate and, or make you mad, really, you know. 
And nothing makes me, when I look back over my life, there's no, the things that have made me the maddest always have to do with when somebody says, this is true and this is true and it equals this and it doesn't equal that. Or they say, or I've said, you know, I, I believe this, I want this, but I do this and that doesn't equal that. It just drives me up the wall. And growing up, any time that that would happen, our family had this little saying. They would go, if somebody said something and it didn't match up, they would go, now, now, brown cow, brown cow. Has anybody ever heard that before? <laughs> I see a few heads. First service, there were a lot of heads shaking. I really, later on, like, I just thought that was normal talk for everybody. And I was, a, I was around a bunch of people, and I said, if somebody did that. And I, I got hot, and I said, now, now, brown cow, brown cow. And the whole group went, <laughs> what? What are you talking about a cow for, you know? Um, yeah, but it was a way to just call somebody on it. Hey, uh-uh, uh-uh. One plus one equals two. It doesn't equal three, so you better take that statement back. Well, the one plus one equals two here is if we understand who we are, really, and we understand who he is and his authority, then the automatic reaction is that we were compelled to worship the way that my, my buddy Antoine did. It's a deep thing that we can't stop. And so that's what I'm asking over these four weeks that would, that would happen in this place, that we would... We would dive into it, and the place that we're really going to look is Isaiah chapter 6. In fact, every week we're going to look at this, uh, this passage. We'll launch from there to different verses and different sections. But, but Isaiah chapter 6 is uh, this incredible picture of Isaiah, this prophet who is in the presence of God. And there are other pictures we get of prophets and of people who encounter, but th- this is a beautiful picture, and all, all four sections of the thing that we really need to talk about, of who we are and who he is, it's all really talked about in this encounter that Isaiah has with God. And so I'm just going to read it, and again, every week I'm going to read it and maybe highlight a different section, but every time that I read it, please just read along with me and, and let, it, let it speak to you, because there's a lot of powerful things that, that happen in this encounter. So here we go. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 to, ver- to verse 8. In the, king that, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated upon a throne. High and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim uh, flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my lips and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I. Send me. I mean, imagine this picture and this crazy seraphim creature and all the things that are happening and this voice that's so loud that the whole place is shaking. Holy, holy, holy 
holy, uh, literally, it's this, it's, it's the word that means set apart. So set apart, set apart, set apart, set apart in his power, set apart in his purity, set, up, set apart other than this incredible God. And then what is Isaiah's reaction? Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And woe is us. I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king. Woe is me. It's almost as if you get this feeling that, you know, he may have walked into this situation with uh, kind of living in the shadows that the things that were in his life and the things that were in his culture, maybe he had, he had explained those things away or, or, or given some excuse or, or you know, covered them up in some way and, and made some reasoning why those things were, were okay. But now all of a sudden, in the presence of God, in his light, all those things become exposed. In fact, in, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, it says, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. In fact, every one of these encounters, if we go through Scripture and look at each one, this picture of God's bright, bright, bright light is there. This light that exposes all the darkness, that takes away all the shadows, that reveals everything that's there. All of a sudden, this light is there, and Isaiah experiences, experiences that, and he says, woe is me. That's the reaction. When I say that, is there something to you if you were in that situation that when, when, you saw, when that bright light shined on your life, is there an area that you would go, woe is me? There is for me. When I, uh, there's, I mean, there's a lot of regrets that I have as I look back over my life, but there's an area, you know, in, um, actually in, in Psalm 19, it, it talks about these two different types of sins. It talks about hidden faults, those things that, that maybe we stumble into and, and mess up that are sin, just the same. But then it also talks about presumptuous sin. It's those things that we knew good and well that God had, had commanded against that, that he had reasoning behind it. We, we had embraced it, and then at the same time, we chose to walk in that very thing that we knew was sin. And uh, I look back over my life, there's a time that, that there was something like that, that I made the choice. You know, uh, last week, week before last, Terry and I celebrated our 21st wedding anniversary. Now see, if I had said 20, there probably would have been some more, woohoo! And I was thinking about that the other day, that, you know, we, we make a big deal out of 20 and 25. We really like round numbers. But man, tw- 21, 21's a big deal. You know, one. It's a big deal. I mean, it does feel like our, the people around us and the people that we've known that were married about the time that we were, it almost feels like one of those war scenes where we're all running <laughs> and the bullets are flying and we're looking to our left, boom, what, what happened to them? Oh, man, and then we see somebody over there struggling. I mean, that's, that's what it feels like. 21 years. 21 years, one year. We made it another year. That's a big deal. And that I can honestly, with all of my heart, say that our, our friendship is the strongest that it's ever been. She's my friend, my best friend. Our romance is the strongest. I love this girl, man. She's hot, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm hot for her. You know, and that continues to grow. Like, the, uh, that I can say that all those things are true and not lie this morning, that's, that's really, really, really big, you know? 
And I just, I just wanted to make that point, not that it has anything to do with Isaiah or worship or anything else. <laughs> not that my, heart, my wife is hot, but just that, that marriage is a big deal and we need to make much of it in this place, right? Because it is. And uh, it gets shot down a lot and it needs to be made much of. And, um, and I'm just really thankful. But we, uh, we had a really rocky start to this 21 years. And we... Uh, we started dating in high school, and uh, we were really different people in high school, and I was, I was this guy who had done a good job uh, projecting the persona that I was the dude that you wanted your daughter to date, you know? Uh, I just did things right. I shook guys, you know, when I would meet somebody's father, I would look him in the eye and shake his hand. My dad had taught me well. Uh, I would go sometimes to the party, but I would carry my own ice chest with IBC cream soda, which I had given the name Brass Monkey just to make it cool. I introduced my boys to it the other day. I was like, dude, have you ever had Brass Monkey? Played the Beastie Boys song just so they would get the full picture of what this was. And uh, they're like, man, Dad, this is incredible. I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you. And, and that was my ticket. I was the guy that was at the party with the, his own ice chest of Brass Monkey. And out of fact, at our wedding, uh, the groom's table was a big IBC bottle and an ice chest full of Brass Monkey. It was a party. But anyway, um, so I, I was that guy, and when I, when I first, Terry moved to town, and uh, she was dating this other dude, and this is how much it was like that. Uh, we're going somewhere, and this dude asks if they can ride with me, and, and they jump in the car. Terry gets in the back seat. He sits up front, and for the whole way there, he's looking over at me going, Mark, I respect you so much, man. Man, you just do things right. You know, you're taking stances. Man, I'm so, I'm just amazed. I think you're so incredible. I was looking in that rearview mirror like, <laughs> girl, you hearing this? Because this right here is good stuff, you know? <laughs> I mean, I just had a, I, there were, I mean, I was trying to do things right, but I had a lot, I had fooled a lot of people because they couldn't really see in my heart, you know, or what was motivating a lot of those things. So then Terry and I started dating, and from the beginning, I mean, this belief that, that God had created this incredible thing of relationship with man and woman and, and sex and had an intention for it in marriage and why that made sense that, that only two people in the context of marriage and that maturity and that commitment, that, that that worked and that it was beautiful in that context, but any perversion of that, then it started to break and cause all kinds of trouble to the person and the, uh, both people and everybody else around it and sin before God. I believed that. And so we talked about it on the front end and we made commitments. And we started to live out and walk in those commitments. And then I had a couple of bad weeks for a teenager. You know, now I'm like, that's it. It wasn't bad. It was just a regular week. But for a teenager, it seemed like it was catastrophic. And I was on the, the on a lawnmower, mowing our yard, and I totally blamed that on my Walkman I was listening to Boys to Men, which is just, you know, <laughs> totally blame Boys to Men. But, uh, but yeah, I, I made a decision that day. I made a decision that I was going to sin against Terry, I was going to sin against God, and I was going to do the very thing that he said do not do. And I made a decision. Went out that night and began to walk in a path of sin that caused all kinds of heartache and pain, ended up in a, in a horrible breakup between us, scars for us both, um, sin against God and that, that break of relationship that I had chosen and walked in 
all of this horrible baggage and pain because I chose to, to go my own way and to sin, full well knowing it, presumptuous sin. Woe is me. But hold up. Woe is us. Because I could pick a lot of different topics to talk about our culture today and say, hey, this is, this is an area where we struggle and where, where sin is prevalent. And if the light of God shined upon us, it would be revealed. But is it, does it even require a light to bring attention to our sex-saturated, porn-addicted, hookup culture? Is it even needed? We know it. As soon as you walk out this door... If you flip on your television at all today, you're going to have to you're going to have to turn your head and close your eyes and protect yourself from it an inundated culture. In fact, just a few statistics that have just recently I kind of have seen some of these things that, that the numbers say that two out of three of the guys in this room inside the church walls, two out of three of those guys are are looking at, at pictures and watching X-rated videos weekly. The numbers outside of the church don't really change any. They don't get any higher. Two out of three in, in the world, and, a, and an ever-increasing number of women that are doing the same thing. But this is what's really scary about today and for our future. I, you know, I've got a couple of teenage boys, uh, boys 15 to 20, that over 80% are engaged in it weekly and are watching all kinds of uh, perversions of it. Whoa. Whoa is us. Just kind of a side note, we, uh, we're going to take this seriously because I feel like it's not talked about very much, and we're, leadership is already making plans to do some things in the fall where we're going to train small group leaders and train guys to help one another attack this thing. So, um, because we don't, we, don't, it, it, we don't talk about it, but it's an epidemic. Woe is us. If the light shined on, on your life, because when you come into the presence of God, that's what happened. His light shined. What does it reveal? But then also, I just think about the light of God shining and what it would reveal. And there's some things that, that it would reveal about me. When you, you know, have you ever got, gotten ready for a party and you're like, you're in, you got one mirror that's kind of in the shade, in the shadows, and you're like, man, I look good. And then you walk into that one room or you get to the place and they've got fluorescent lights and you walk in and you're like, man, what just happened, you know? <laughs> it's always that joke about the girl you meet at the party. I'm not going to tell that one, but <laughs> you see her in the light and you're like, man, what did I do? Um, yeah, that when God's light shines, it shows it. Well, one of the things for me are some things that I've always been ashamed of. Uh, you know, I've, I've got a, uh, the reason I've always shaved my head is because I've got a Eddie Munster Chia Pet do. And when it grows, it grows like a Chia Pet, and it, and it comes down with a V in the front like Eddie Munster. And I've talked before, I, got, I had this sweat problem that I sweat profusely from the underarms. And I have to constantly battle it, and it's like this thing that I've always, from the time I was this tall, I've been ashamed of. You know, there are other things about me that, that I've always been ashamed of because what if, what if, what if you found out I was human? What, what if you discovered that I wasn't perfect? What then? What breakdown and catastrophic thing would happen if you knew that I wasn't God? 
you find out that I'm just like you and you're just like me and you're not perfect either, that there is a God and you're not him. And that's what seems to happen to Isaiah is that all of a sudden he's in the presence of God and he goes, woe is me. This holy, holy, holy set apart God is not like me. See, worship starts to break down because somehow we've built ourselves up enough or brought God low enough that we feel like, hey, I mean, really? Am I compelled to worship something that's like me? No. But when his light shines and you begin to see you in truth and accept it and confess it, then all of a sudden he becomes highly exalted because he is not those things. He is perfect. And so it feels like the place that we have to start is this, this heart of brokenness and recognition of our, of our imperfection. The things that we chose and the things that we didn't choose, that, that it's just the reality of who we are. And, um, and somewhere in the middle of that brokenness, we, we start to see God rightly. This, um, this one night, we were, we were in a Bible study where Antoine was there and and um, we had begun to confess some sins and things that we were all dealing with. And it, and it got, I don't know if you've ever been in one of these places, but people were being honest and authentic. And we began to really share things that we, were, we had kept secret. And we began to be really broken that these things are really hideous. We, had, we tried to cover them up, but we had to confess, man, this, these things are ugly, and we, we were sad. And... <laughs> And Antoine said, um, hey, let's, let's go outside. In fact, I don't even think he asked. I think he just walked out the door, and we were all like, all right, let's walk outside. And he starts singing the song. And I wish I could remember which, uh, which worship chorus it was, but it was, it was one that just talked about God's incredible grace in the midst of the place to meet us where we were. And uh, the reason I remember that night more than anything, because it started to, right as we started to sing it, it started to, to sprinkle and just rain a little bit. And something about that sweet rain just felt like that was, <laughs> it was like God's grace was just, it was there that we had admitted the truth about who we were and he was right there to meet us with his incredible love and grace. And I just think that's what, that's who our incredible God is and that's what when we talk about who we are, that's what next week we'll have to focus on. That's, that's who he is. He's not like us in any way, and especially in this thing that people who would spit in his face and sin against him directly, that he would still love and die and give his life for them. That's God-like. That's holy. That's not, that's not us. We don't do that kind of thing. So we're doing a little things, di- uh, a few things different through this series. Uh, you may have noticed we, we started, uh, the MC started at the beginning, we did a couple songs, and we're, we did all that to really kind of to make sure we have plenty of time on the back end. I, I tried to go a little bit shorter today so we could leave a little more time on the back end for, uh, for worship and reflection. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you over the next few minutes in three, three different songs that you would, you would just really en- engage and think about uh, the things that I, that I talked about this morning, this, this reaction that Isaiah had, what it would mean to be in the presence of God. There's uh, the opportunity for communion, giving, you know, as always, but But I'm asking God that over these four weeks, beginning today, that he would do something significant in our hearts and in our church. So 
please join me join with me in that let's pray father i i love you and i am um i am desperate in my asking that that you would let your light shine and that is a dangerous request because part of me doesn't want you to uh for the broken pieces of my life to be revealed part of me has spent a lifetime trying to trying to protect those things and um and keep them secret and to myself and i'm i'm asking you father that you would take this place to a whole nother level of authenticity before you and before one another that we could begin at this place of worship that we actually understand who we are in light of who you are and that this would just be a, uh, a sweet beginning of a new heart of worship that would be true in this place. Father, I ask you that you would do that to your glory. Amen.